I grew up with zero self-worth. And I mean zero. I was subjected to a childhood of emotional and psychological abuse. And no matter what I did, I was left with this empty hole. A hole within myself that no matter how hard I tried, I never, ever felt like I was quite enough. My father was an angry man. He never, ever once in his whole entire life told me he loved me. Now, as an adult, I can look back and I can make peace with this, yet as a child, it traumatized me beyond measure. He had this nickname for me, it was, he called me Gunner, which meant I was gonna do this, I was gonna do that, and I would never ever amount to anything. You see, my dad didn't know how to love himself. And because we create what we are, not what we want, he didn't know how to love me. He didn't know how to love anybody. The high performing entrepreneur that you see in front of you today, that you may think is courageous and brave and confident and probably never struggled in their life, is actually the furthest thing from what I was growing up. I remember one night I was at home washing the dishes and I dropped a dish. And I remember my dad, he spun out of control. He's like, oh, well, Kate's home. How do we know Kate's home? Because fucking something went wrong. And when Kate's around, everything goes wrong. I remember that night, something inside of me died. I honestly felt like I was worth nothing. I felt like everything that was wrong in the world was my fault. I was a broken mess. I was addicted to methamphetamines. I lived a sex party and rock and roll lifestyle. I was an empty shell of a human. I spent six months living on the street, not knowing who I was or where I was going and just feeling like everything that went wrong in the world was my fault and that I deserved to be there because I was a gunner. Then one day in the pit of my deepest, darkest night of the soul, I got a phone call. And that phone call was to tell me that my father had cancer and he'd been given only six months to live. So at that time, my mum, bless her, paid for my flights back to Australia. At that time, I was in Auckland and I was on the street, didn't have money to buy my flights home, let alone feed myself, because everything that I had went into my addiction. And over that six month period, I got to know my dad. I car parked my hatred and my blame of him and as I got to know him, I got to know myself. I remember so clearly the night that he passed away. I was, I was called into the hospital and it wasn't actually the first time we'd been called in, told that this was it, this was the end, he was gonna go. And I remember being annoyed. I was like, oh, I'm gonna get called in again and nothing's gonna happen. And this is harder than I thought. <laughs> 
and we went in and he was on a, a huge amount of, of drugs and he was not lucid really at all. And I remember myself and my half brother and sister and my sister, we were all in this room and I was holding his hand. And as he was taking his last breath, the thought crossed through my mind that if I didn't change my ways, that could be me really soon. And that no matter how much he wanted to bargain his way out of this, you see, I was really good at bargaining my way out of things in life. No matter how bad it got, I always negotiated my way out. But death, we can't negotiate with death. When it's your last breath, it's your last breath. And as he was taking his, I remembered thinking, if I didn't change my ways, soon I would be taking mine. I remember running out of the hospital crying when he'd passed. I got to the car park of the hospital and I vomited and I vomited and I vomited. And in that moment, I promised myself, I swore that if it was meant to be, it was up to me. As I vomited there on the car park cement, I let go of all of my victimhood, all of my blame, all of the bullshit excuses that had been holding me back for so fucking long. And I chose me. Now I wish that I could tell you that from that moment, that cataclysmic moment where I chose me, everything was easy and it was like a Hollywood film. It wasn't. To be honest, choosing me, I didn't really understand even the concept of that in that moment. All I knew is that I wanted to end my own suffering and I wanted to end the suffering of all humans, but the huge enormity of that task, I had no idea of at the time. And so my solution was, my solution was to go to university. I, I'm not sure actually how I possibly fathomed that was the best way to overcome an addiction at the time. Yet I ended up going to university. I went to university and I seeked support and help through psychedelic therapy to help me overcome my addiction. And on that path, I landed accidentally, or not accidentally, in the realm of entrepreneurship. You see, as most entrepreneurs would know, we're kind of not employable. We are, we kind of actually are shit employees. So as I created a path of healing for myself, studying with gurus and masters in yoga, meditation, the the I studied the Theosophical Society, any ancient text, Buddhism, Zen Buddhism, I had a Zen master. I simultaneously had a life as an entrepreneur. And around about eight years ago, I started my first six-figure business. And at that time, I didn't even realize the hugeness of what I had achieved in that 15 year period between my dad dying and that business starting. You see that business grew, it grew quickly. I ended up having five boot camp locations across the Gold Coast. We hit six figures. Being an entrepreneur is a damn right hardest, most spiritual fucking thing I have ever, ever done. 
It is the biggest teacher that we can possibly embark on. It is as ruthless as my Zen master and it's as enlightening as enlightenment. You see, as an entrepreneur, it exacerbated all of my dopamine chasing, addictive tendencies that I thought I'd left a long time ago. And so I chased dopamine high after dopamine high, opening two businesses that skyrocketed to seven figures in a very short period of time. I loved the rush. I loved the proximity of being around people like Gary Vaynerchuk, Grant Cardone, and huge, huge names in the industry. It buzzed me. Yet, chasing that dopamine high, just like chasing that methamphetamine high, it caused my world to come crumbling down. You see, I thought I had it all. I had the money, I had the network. I thought that was all. Yet my health was failing, my relationship was failing, my whole personal life was falling apart and I was hiding from it by chasing the dopamine loop that just kept me wanting more. The result of chasing that dopamine high for a good eight years was the crumbling of my reality. I made bad choices, bad investments that resulted in losing around $250,000. I lost 90% of my client base, pretty much all of my friends, a 10 year relationship. Everything that I anchored on to being real and true to me was gone. You see, I would have been okay, the business would have been okay, but then something else happened that at times seemed like a disaster, yet it was a miracle. The pandemic hit. So normally I would have been able to rebuild my business, replenish my client base, yet the world was spun into chaos. And truly I felt like I was standing there with my whole entire world crumbled at my feet. And upon reflection, I realized that I was just chasing another high. And then all that was left, the only choice I had was to actually truly face myself. So as I stood there with my whole reality crumbling at my feet, facing off with myself, I began to see that I just hid from one thing after another. So I chose alongside my partner to rebuild myself, to use the 17 years of knowledge from mystics, from gurus, from masters that I'd spent and dedicated so much time studying and being at the feet of, along with all of my entrepreneurial skills, the skills from my degree, I put them all together and I actually faced off with the truth. I looked in the mirror of accountability and I stopped bullshitting myself. And I made a plan, a 90 day plan, addressing my health, my relationships, the way I, I, I had a relationship to my body, to myself, to others, my sexuality, my sensuality, my business, my meditation, my connection to source, everything, the holistic thing that makes us human. I had a plan, a measurable plan. 
and I dedicated every fucking day to grinding on that plan. And along the way, I found parts of myself that I've been hiding from for years. And the only choice I had was to face that part of myself and to keep fucking going because I was left again with nothing. And it was the best thing that ever happened to me. Because I'm a resilient motherfucker. And no matter what you do to me, no matter what you throw at me, I will keep getting up, I will punch, and I will keep moving forward. Learning, adjusting, adapting. This resilience that I had birthed discipline that I'd never known, which birthed freedom that I'd never experienced. And all of a sudden, my whole entire life recalibrated in a way that I'd never had before. In a way that I thought was just for movies or fairy tales. You see, we've been told we can't have it all. Specifically as women, it's bullshit. You can have it all. But the only way you can have it all is if you're willing to face off with all of you. And that's what we did. Nine hours a week of training. Seven hours a week of meditation. Five hours a week of education, learning, immersing myself in the art of war, in Dan Pena's negotiation. You see, as David Goggins says, I don't have goals, I have to-do lists. And only when everything, everything was stripped away. And the only choice I had but was to look at myself, to be brutally honest to myself, did I discover the truth of who I was? We don't have to go into the darkest part of our soul to reveal our treasure, to reveal the beauty, the superhuman version of you, because we all have it. We just have to choose it. You don't have to go through what I went through. You just have to choose it and be resilient and never, ever, ever stop. So for me, one, two, 20 chapters have now closed. And a new one's just begun. I'm not done yet. I'm nowhere near done. This is just the beginning. Watch me.